is the future. This is not the past. The new XFL will kick off in 2020. What the XFL is cooking. It's still football, but it's professional football reimagined. This is our moment, our story to tell. This is history begun. This is the XFL! Welcome, football fans. This is the week of September 9th, 2018. This is the road to 2020, and this is the XFL Show. I'm Alan. And I'm Vince. This week, we talked to author Jeff Perlman about his new book on the USFL. This is episode 32, and we're learning from the past. Vince, it's just you and I this week, man. We spoke with Jeff Perlman. We're going to play that interview a little bit later on as part of our hot read this week. And uh, man, I can't believe some of the stories he told us in just that short interview we had with him. Yeah, this X or uh, USFL uh, sounds like it was you know a, a wild west type uh, uh, of organization, and uh, definitely the the book he he's got coming out, football for a buck. You got to pick that up uh, and take a look at all the crazy stories in there. Yeah, football for a buck is a, a chronicle by Jeff Perlman, who writes about. Crazy, crazy sports stories all the time. He wrote about the wildness of uh, Brett Favre that you don't really get to hear about. He he, he wrote about the Boston Red Sox and, and the 86 Mets. He is an awesome guy, and he joins the show later on, and we're going to get to him. But the USFL, you could, so much to learn from really the most successful non-NFL football league the U.S. has ever seen, right, Vince? I mean, the XFL... It made a huge impact that one year, but the USFL was around for three years, and it it was just good football. It was way better football than the XFL and has, I think, a more interesting story than the original XFL, at least. Yeah, yeah at least for right now, uh, you know, given that it, it lasted, you know, several seasons, uh, you know, de- definitely more popular than anything else we've seen. Well, when you've got characters like Burt Reynolds and Donald Trump involved, not to mention Herschel Walker, Doug Flutie in this league, uh, the USFL, you could do multiple movies about the league. So, And there's a ton to learn from it as well for the new XFL. And we know the AAF is really taking the original USFL plan, which was be a very modestly spending spring football league and, and see what happens. That's what the AAF is going after it's what we think the xfl will do although the the xfl is the the wild card of the two we it could go anywhere it has more potential we we think that's why this is the xfl show not the aaf show vince but the usfl man what think what do you think the xfl could learn the most from the usfl uh, you know, I, I kind of like, uh, I don't want to give away too much of our interview coming up, but kind of what Jeff was saying, you know, you don't want to, you can't get, you know, too big, uh, for your britches, I, I guess, you, you know, if you're going to start spending some money, you know, you got to go all in on it and you got to control that spending. So, uh, we'll, we'll see what the XFL does, uh, you know, with Vince McMahon, anything's possible. And it's so tough because there's so many, I mean, when you have, when you're talking about billionaires and rich guys in charge of football teams, these guys want to go all in or nothing at all, but it's hard not to, 
And you, you have to be smart with these spring football leagues. And you're going to hear Jeff Perlman talk about the USFL and all that went into that crazy league and how eventually they couldn't resist going all in. And they went to the fall. And, uh, well, they went bye-bye. But before we get to our conversation with Jeff Perlman, we have a real quick cover two with some news and information regarding the XFL this week. Going for two. Go for two and the lead. First up, Vince, Oliver Luck. Uh, a couple of things with him. First, he he's going to be at the Sports Media and Tech Conference in New York City uh, by the Sports Business Journal will be presenting that along with New Lion, and he'll be giving a big conference, a big speech there, uh, I assume Steve Jobs style. What do you expect to hear from Oliver Luck at that thing? Uh, you know, maybe we're going to get some announcements on, uh, at least I hope some announcements, maybe on like the distribution uh, in terms of, of media and where you're going to be able to consume this content. That's what I'd love to hear. Uh, but I wonder if he's just out there in, in a feeler type process. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see if he's going to be taking more questions or be saying what the XFL wants to do when it comes to sports media and tech. And, of course, that's the presentation of the game we're going to be talking about at this conference coming up in New York City. Also, uh, the he, he said this in interviews, and now the XFL has even tweeted it out, Vince. We will announce our inaugural eight host cities this fall. Hashtag XFL 2020. That's from the official XFL Twitter, Vince. So we, we said we, it, might ha- it sounds like it might happen in September. Fall means between now. Is it officially fall yet? Is that September 21st? As far as I'm concerned, uh, fall starts September 1st. Yes. And it, and it ends uh, November 30th. So, so we got, a, you know, we got just a couple months here. And so we should be knowing these cities pretty soon. And once again, if you missed our our XFL city madness, we broke down a, a whole bunch of cities and how the XFL would do in those cities. And we whittled it down to the best eight. We think the best eight XFL cities for the first eight. Uh, go listen to those back in the archive on our podcast feed. Or, of course, this is the XFL show dot com. The other piece of our cover to this week. Vince, is that the XFL general counsel has been hired. Her name is Roxanne Karzarzicki, and she has experience having worked in the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks front office as a, as a litigator. So the XFL, you got to cover your, your keister with lawyers, Vince. Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure what general counsel uh, is going to do, but, uh, you know, if you're hiring somebody that was, you know, uh, big time up in, a, in an NFL uh, organization that that's that's probably a good thing yeah and they're gonna have to handle all sorts of uh business with the xfl because if you see look at the nfl i mean they have such great lawyers and if they didn't players would be suing the league left and right oh, yeah. people would be saying they, they already are but this is a big hire for for the xfl because she's definitely going to be a a powerful person within the organization and well that's a you know you talk about lawyers and uh myself and jake uh we recently saw a a talk uh given by mr mcdivitt uh, uh a kind of a lawyer to the wwe and, and mr mcmahon and he's involved in this as well uh, so, you know, they're gearing up their, their legal team. And, you know, if you're going to be successful, you need good lawyers because there's going to be people coming after you to take you down. Exactly. And I mean, 
Imagine, especially like when maybe when like a player like Le'Veon Bell ups it and leaves the NFL to go play for the XFL, they're definitely going to need <laughs> well, lawyers that. for that, Vince. Because that'll I happen, don't, right? I don't. Uh, uh, it, <laughs> Jeff Perlman would tell you no because they're not going to spend <laughs> that kind of money. Yeah, well, he he thinks they won't, but the USFL they did it. They did, and they have they had to keep spending. And if the USFL was around, they definitely would be going after a Le'Veon Bell type, wouldn't they? <laughs> Well, uh, the USFL definitely would, but I, I don't think Vince McMahon's paying any of these football players more than he's paying Brock Lesnar. So, <laughs> so, I, so I, I think we know the ceiling. Of, I don't of, think uh, he's paying these players more than he's paying Roxanne Kozarzyki either. Probably <laughs> not. <laughs> I highly doubt that. But th- those are the two big pieces of news here for the XFL this week. They do have their general counsel in. We look forward to that sports and media tech conference. I'm sure a whole bunch of great stuff's going to come from Oliver Luck at that thing uh, happening in a few weeks. And um, we will be on top of that for all of you. And remember, follow the show. Follow along with us at XFL Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, that is where we do uh, you know, our, our com- conversating with you during the week leading up to our big episodes like this week with Jeff Perlman. A lot of you got really excited when we tweeted out that we'd be having him on the show. He's got a bunch of great books. He wrote uh, the, the book about Walter Payton, Vince, Sweetness, The Enigmatic Life of Walter Payton. Uh, he wrote about Brett Favre, who I know you don't like too much, but Brett Favre did have a crazy rise into the NFL and also is kind of a good old boy. So a guy like Jeff Perlman does some digging, Vince. So I bet if you read his book about Brett Favre, you'd end up liking Brett Favre the more you learn about him. Or, or just hating him even more. <laughs> it's, it's nothing personal against him. I just think he's one of the most overrated uh, players uh, to ever suit up. Yeah, he did throw a lot of picks. Well, Jeff Perlman is definitely not overrated. He's a New no, York Times not at all. best-selling author for a, a very good reason. Multiple books about great sports stories, and he's about to tell another one. The book comes out at least on Amazon on September 11, and I, I can't wait to pick it up. It's called Football for a Buck, The Crazy Rise and Crazier Demise of the USFL, the United States Football League, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Vince and I, we know about the USFL, but we weren't alive when that thing was around. 1983 to 1985, the USFL existed for three seasons, two as a spring league, and then they moved to the fall, and it all went, well, crumbling to the floor from there. Uh, A a new owner the second year named Donald Trump took over the New York, New Jersey franchise, swayed all the other owners, or most of them, into turning the league into a fall league. He was trying to own an NFL team and uh, really get – an ABA situation, I guess, going right, Vince, where he was trying to get USFL teams bought up by the NFL. Yeah, just all kinds of you know crazy stuff there. And you know, if you're a uh, you know if you're somebody in your 30s or or younger, you know, just because you've watched that 30 for 30 on the USFL doesn't mean you know the USFL. And this book is is really uh, giving you the inside information that you need on this on this league. Yeah, not to knock the 30 for 30, Vince. I loved it. I thought it was, oh, yeah, really it was very good. good but, it's entertaining. But, but, but we heard in this interview was just <laughs> yeah, what this, <laughs> on another and, level. And he's just given us a taste. The book yeah. is going to have so much more. But let's get right to it. It is the subject of our hot read this week. It is our conversation with New York Times bestselling author Jeff Perlman on his new book, Football for a Buck. And really, 
we're going to try to figure out how we could learn from the USFL when it comes to the XFL. Enjoy our conversation with Jeff Perlman now, everybody. It is the hot read. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! Hey, Rick Flair! Rick Flair! USFL is definitely fascinating enough to write a book about, but what compelled you the most to write football for a book? Well, I mean, probably like you guys, like with maybe with the XFL. Like I grew up loving the USFL, the kid of the '80s. I was addicted to it. I love the teams. I love the team names. I love the helmets. Um, I love the way they were taking on the NFL. I was just hooked as a kid, ten years old, first year, and. I was always fascinated by it. I always thought there was something there to write about. When I was a senior in high school, Mayo Park, New York, um, for my English class, we had to write a 20-page paper as a final thing. And I wrote 40 pages on the USFL. And uh, <laughs> wow. oh. I just was always that guy. I was always fascinated. I mean, I always say, like, funny, I went to my daughter's school night at high school the other night. I can't even imagine being a teacher and some kid handing in a 40-page paper. There's no way my teacher read that whole paper. And I would not blame them at all. <laughs> So you just took that and that ended up being the book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it actually is a book. I didn't do it. I spent the last year kicking up on a couch. My, uh, I, uh, wasn't old enough to, uh, be around at that time, but were there like certain groups that were really diehard USS at the time? Um, that's interesting. I mean, the thing is, you have to remember, it's not like now when people formed online clubs and groups and you could have meetups and blah, blah, blah. Well, you we weren't going to have a Facebook page devoted to the New Jersey Generals in 1983. <laughs> what you had, though, what you had that was interesting is certain teams fostered a real sort of community because, you know, like the San Antonio Gunslingers, the Oklahoma Outlaws based out of Tulsa, like they were the only show in town, you know? So... That was what did it. And you'd have fierce loyalty to certain franchises. Now, you, you might have only had 100 people who were fiercely loyal, but the people who were viewed the team as their own. And that was a pretty powerful thing. So they're still on, you know, on Facebook now. There's the San Antonio Gunslingers, uh, you know, Lovers Facebook page. There's the Houston Gamblers Lovers Facebook page. There's just these diehard collections of people left and right, you know. And I understand why, too, because, I mean, they, they it was so creative, and it was also a, a place, I guess, it kind of seems like misfit fans almost, or people, I don't know, were, this, were those people also fans of NFL teams? I mean, they, most of them were in cities that didn't have NFL teams, but it seemed like a rowdier bunch at a USFL game back then. I would say so. I mean, a lot of the teams dressed up cheerleaders like hookers. You know, uh, the New Jersey Generals, owned actually by Donald Trump, went out of their way. I mean, it's embarrassing looking back how they dress those women. It's ridiculous. But a lot of teams dress up, sexed it up in huge ways. Um, the other thing is that the USFL did very wisely is they made the players insanely accessible. So the Rotary Club, uh, you know, Chamber of Commerce, the supermarket opening, the library reading hour. There's your Tampa Bay Bandit quarterback. There's your Denver goal linebacker. They were all there. So, you know, it forged a very tight sense of community. This is way before the NFL had people working for them who specifically uh, dealt with outreach. The USFL was all about outreach. Also, they were 
you know, the NFL back then and still now, they really marketed the teams more than the players. You know, you were a Steelers fan or you were a Cowboys fan. The USFL went out of its way to market the players, so you would form connections with a Herschel Walker, a Kelvin Bryant, a Doug Williams. And I think that really fostered a sense of loyalty. A little bit more about the book. Yeah, so you did uh, countless interviews uh, in your, in your mm-hmm. research. Can you give us just one really crazy story you heard from it? Yeah, man. I mean, there's actually 8,000. When someone asked me that question, I get asked that question a lot. And it's like, it's like an encyclopedia in my head of weird, crazy, insane um, stories that make no sense. Like, um, I mean, just as an example, the Washington Federal starting quarterback was Joe Gilliam, who actually was, yeah. was uh, Terry Bradshaw's backup for the Steelers yeah. from Tennessee, Jefferson City Joe. And by the time he got to the USFL, he was a full-fledged cocaine addict. And when they signed him, he played with the Denver Gold. Denver Gold released him. Washington signed him. The Federals sent Rick Vaughn, their PR guy, to pick him up at the airport. And Rick, who has been the uh, longtime Tampa Bay Rays PR guy after now, was only 24 at the time. And he goes to pick Joe, Joe Gilliam up at the airport. And Joe Gilliam has him stop at a package store so he can get a beer for the drive. And so they're driving, and he's drinking a beer, this reform addict. And he winds up spending part of the season with, with Washington living in his Oldsmobile, and then the other half in a halfway house for for, for drug addicts. Literally starting quarterback at times for the Washington Federals. You know, um, it's absolutely insane. The San Antonio gunslingers just stopped paying their players, and the owner started handing out these promissory notes that were never paid. And um, they also have the best injury in the history of all injuries. The gunslingers had to put a person on the injured list because he slams his penis in a trunk. (laughs) (laughs) Not a trunk of a car, like a trunk in the clubhouse. Like somehow his penis, his penis got stuck in a trunk. And they listed it, I think, as as a strained groin, but it actually was bruised penis. Um, That same team, just because they're the most, you could do a movie on the San Antonio Gunslingers, it would be so good. That same team, the owner was insane. His name was Clint Nagus. He was just insane. He decided their punter, they had a punter who used to be a New England Patriot named Ken Hartney, decided he wasn't very good. And he decided not only was he not good, but that the guy who took care of his ranch would be a better punter. So his name was Buddy Roberts. He was a punter in career <laughs> high school, like a decade and a half earlier. And somehow this guy decided, I need to sign Buddy Roberts, my ranch hand, to punt for the team. <laughs> so he signed him to a contract. The general manager was like, what the hell are we doing? The coach was like, what the hell are we doing? Clint Mangus didn't care. This guy can punt. So he shows up at practice. He can't punt a lick. You know, he needs four steps just to get a punt off. They're going 20 yards. But Clint Mangus insists he dresses for a game. So actually dress him for a game in Portland against the Portland Breakers. And the PR guy for the team was a guy named Greg Singleton. And he, just, he told one of the coaches, please hide Buddy Roberts behind someone the whole game because I don't want the media seeing him. And thinking that we actually just signed a ranch hand. I can't explain that. How am I going to explain that to the media, that we just signed the, the owner's ranch hand? So literally, the whole game, a coach is standing in front of number eight of the gunslingers, so the, the, no one will see him. And after the game, the coach says, I, I can't do this. And the, uh, the owner agrees to allow Buddy Roberts to return to the ranch. Oh, my goodness. The guns, Gunslingers sound legendary. I, I always heard uh, stories about the Tampa Bay Bandits being a, a wild bunch, but what, that, that 30 for 30 they came out doesn't do the 
the USFL justice, I think, for some of the stories you're you're telling in this book, Jeff. I'm super excited to read it. And, uh, of course, the big thing everyone talks about with the USFL is that Donald Trump uh, got involved, bought the generals there, and eventually swayed everybody to move it from being a spring league to a fall league. How was he able to do that? Did he just have more money than everybody? I mean, it worked out great. Look, all these USFL teams absorbed into the NFL. It's fantastic. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's horrible. It's a freaking joke. Uh, no, that's a funny thing. He was not the richest owner, or even close to the richest owner. What happened is, well, a couple of things happened. He bought the New York team, the New Jersey team, the Generals, after one season. So, 83, they were owned by someone else. 84, he buys them. And in the lead-up, he says how much he loves the U.S. of It's a great league. And as soon as he gets the Generals, we need to move to fall. We have to move to fall. We have to move to fall. First meeting. This is a joke. Why are we in spring? We need to move to fall. Talks that cause the New York Times. We need to move to fall. Literally, the commissioner of the U.S. of L., Chef Simmons, gets a call one day from the New York Times. I'm about to run a story where your, uh, your owner of the New Jersey franchise says you need to move to fall. It's like, what are you talking about? So Trump had in his head, he wanted an NFL franchise. They had in his head that the only way to get an NFL franchise was to force the NFL's hand. And you would force the NFL hand by moving to fall. And either you sue them or you, uh, they'll just want to merge and avoid any lawsuit. Um, it was the power, power of his bombast. You know, I mean, he's not the wealthiest, not one of the 5,000 wealthiest Americans, but he's president of the United States in large part because he's the loudest talker and he's really good at that. It's self-promotion. So he pushed the idea of fall, pushed the idea of fall, promised the other owners that he could get a TV deal in the fall. Um, just went on and on about it. And ultimately, he led this lawsuit against the NFL. He convinced the other owners that fall move would make sense. They sued the NFL, and famously, they won the lawsuit, but they won a dollar because <laughs> the jury, while the jury thought, yes, the NFL has colluded against the USFL, um, the USFL is largely at fault for this. And, you know, Trump walked away, and years later, he called it all small potatoes. It didn't really matter to him. Yeah, yeah, he looked back at it like it was nothing, you know, to him. But that affected so many players, so many owners. The USFL oh, left yeah. a lasting p- impact on millions of people. And to Donald Trump, it was, oh, yeah, small potatoes. Vince, you wanted to ask, Jeff, we were talking earlier about how the USFL was able to get all these Heisman Trophy winners and how the XFL has no hope in hell of doing that. Uh, what was your question for Jeff about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, can we even uh... – compare uh you know the usfl and xfl uh together considering you know one uh is essentially a a developmental type league uh and the other one you know actually tried to legitimately compete you just touched on it going to head to head and even having you know big time name players on the field yeah um no but i actually think if anything's going to save the xfl or the alliance the other league is that they're not trying to be the NFL. Um, you guys have all made huge mistakes financially. Like, all right, the Herschel Walker signing made sense. He was the first big sort of shot of the USFL. He put USFL on the map. They're on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Okay, makes sense. Also, he was a, he just finished his junior year. The NFL wasn't taking guys. He had to be a senior at that point. The US, NFL was not drafting guys. Okay. Then they signed Mike Rozier to crazy money. And Mike Rozier just wasn't that great of a player. He was a Heisman Trophy winner. Then they signed Doug Flutie to crazy money. Doug Flutie was a five-foot-nine quarterback who wouldn't have been a – he probably would have been a fourth-round, fifth-round NFL pick. The, the USFL just lost its head collectively 
and the spending was insane. I actually think one of these two new leagues, maybe both, they have a chance by not kicking out of the NFL, by not signing the Heisman Trophy winner, um, by going regional. You know, if you're going to have a team in Omaha, get as many Nebraska teams as, uh, players as you can find. You want fans to feel a part of it all. You know, you want fans to feel like they grew up watching these guys. It's just, you got to be smart what you're doing. The USFL lost its, its intellect. It took a very smart plan, bring football, slow growth, not going to spend too much, regional development, and just blew it up in the bits. Yeah, and the USFL, you know, the spring football was working and, and getting people interested. And that's why it looks like the AAF, at least, the Alliance, they're going to take it slowly and try to do that same exact plan. The XFL, uh, they're saying one thing, but then with Vince McMahon, you never know how big they might try to make this thing, Jeff. Can a football league in America succeed in the spring, though? Does the AAF or XFL have a chance, do you think? Because no league's really done it since the USFL. I do. I really do. I, but I think it has to be this. I swear to God, I really need this. You're the quarterback of the Omaha whatevers. And the NFL calls. The Baltimore Ravens call. And they like what you're doing and they want to sign you. If you're the Omaha whatevers, you have to let that person sign. You have to. And not only that, you have to celebrate it. You have to be, look, you come out here to whatever stadium in Omaha, you might see the next quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. You might see the next running back for so-and-so. You're also going to see the kid you grew up. You know, I would tell the stories of the kid who grew up in Omaha playing football in his backyard, and now look at him. He's playing pro football for your team. That's sort of how I think you do it. I think the worst thing you can do, and I don't think they're planning on it, is say, look, we stole this guy from the NFL, and we're paying him more than the Ravens would pay him, and yay, look at this. And now we're the best team in the whatever league, but the other teams can't keep up with us because we're outspending them. You don't want that's that. A, that's a recipe that, for disaster. John Bassett said something really intelligent. He was the only one with Tampa Bay Bandits. He said, once you start spending crazily, there's no turning back. Like, it's not like the U.S. NFL can sign Herschel Walker and then said, okay, now we're not going to spend any more money on anyone. Like, once you do it, once you make that mistake, it's done and you're over. That, that's a good point, Jeff. Uh, you know, Alan and myself being huge Steeler fans, I mean, who would have thought, you know, that in – the next starting quarterback for the Steelers was playing in the XFL, uh, being yep. Tommy Maddox. Exactly. Who, who would ever thought that? And if you would have known at the time, you probably would have paid a little bit more attention to it. I agree. And I think, like, if the XFL had survived, that would have been a smart thing to celebrate. We Look, we, this guy, we gave him – he was down and out. He went to UCLA. He was a Denver Bronco. His career was over. We gave him his rejuvenation, and now he's a Pittsburgh Steeler. Come watch the XFL. Come watch the San Francisco Demons. And you're going to see that you could see the next quarterback for the, for the Pittsburgh uh, Steelers on his revival. I just think that's the way to sell a league. Not we're better than the NFL. That and maybe getting uh, celebrity co-owners like Burt Reynolds, Jeff, who just passed away, oh, yeah. was a, a co-owner of the Tampa Bay Bandits. Uh, did you get to interview Burt Reynolds at all in your research for the book? No, I'm really bummed out I didn't. And, uh, but I got to say, Really beloved by the uh, advantage. He was actually involved. He wasn't just a guy. It's funny. You had Lee Majors with the LA Express was a part owner, $6 million man. <laughs> and you had Burr Reynolds uh, smoking the bandits with the Tampa Bay bandits. And he would show up. He'd bring our celebrity friends. He gave, at the end of each, uh, the first two seasons, I know he gave gold belt buckles um, the first year to all the players. And the second year, he gave satin jackets to all the players. A guy who loved being around the bandits. He made, it was really cool. And he would do promotions for him, show up with like beautiful women on each arm, you know, back in the 80s with cheesy kind of stuff. 
And, uh, yeah, I was sad. Taking Boogie Nights, one of my favorite movies of all time, you know? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Rest in peace, Jack Horner, forever. We'll all go watch yeah, a Jack exactly. Horner picture after this uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> really appreciate your time, Jeff. Uh, Vince, did you have any other questions for him? Yeah, real quick uh, before we get out of here, Jeff. Uh, it, um, do you think maybe in your future we're going to get an XFL book? <laughs> the XFL has to last longer than a year. If we, <laughs> if it turns out to something, I love writing about alternative. We, I mean, if you guys haven't read a, a great, great book, it's Loose Balls about the ABA by Terry Cluto. It's an amazing, amazing book uh, that really talks about sort of, uh, the, you know, new leagues and what they have to do and how they can survive. The problem with the XFL, if I'm being honest, just not enough name guys came out of it in the first go-round. It's not like there's a Doug Flutie or Herschel Walker. You know, there's a Tommy Maddox and a He Hate Me. And it's kind of hard to find a lot of guys to hang a promotion on. That, that's true. Maybe maybe this new iteration of the uh, XFL will give you something to write about. But the USFL, man, gave you plenty. And you just gave us a taste of those stories. I cannot rate, wait to read them in the new book. We really appreciate your time, Jeff. Oh, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. And there you have it, our conversation with Jeff Perlman, author, New York Times bestselling author. I always miss that part, Vince. You got to say that. Football for a buck, the crazy rise and crazier demise of the USFL. Do you think if you were around during the USFL's time, Vince, you would have been a, a San Antonio Gunslingers fan? Uh, yeah, maybe them or Houston Gamblers. I don't. Uh, I probably would have sided with Burt Reynolds. So I think that's where I would have ended up. You ha- have to side with Burt Reynolds and, and the Tampa Bay Bandits. Rest in peace to Burt Reynolds, a USFL legend. If there was a Hall of Fame for the league, he definitely would be in it. Vince. <laughs> but uh, man, fascinating conversation there with Jeff Perlman. Uh, we'll see when the XFL gets underway. We'll have to get him back on the show to see. Uh, if any of his predictions there about the league uh, selling the fact that they get guys to the NFL, if that actually happens, I definitely think the AAF will do that. I'm not sure about the XFL. Oliver Luck seems like he wants to do that. I don't know about Vince McMahon, though. Yeah, he, he, uh, he well, uh, Vince McMahon, he wants to make money. So, you know, <laughs> whatever's uh, going to be best for business is what he's going to do. I do love how he's totally putting this in Oliver Luck's hands. And once again, we talked about it last week when Jake was on the show, everyone. We are working hard on trying to get Oliver Luck onto the show. So please stay tuned. Be patient with us. And I, I know eventually we will have the commissioner of the XFL on. But he's going to have a chore, Vince, because topping Jeff Perlman in those stories is a chore. Yeah, and, and, you know, we're not going to go easy on him either, you know. And, <laughs> and and the good thing is, though, he's he's listening. Yes, he is. And so are we at XFL Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The website, this is com. Thanks to Jeff Perlman for joining us today. Thanks to all of you who send us great messages and send us great articles trying to keep us up to date and help us out as we do research for the show together. It is a collaborative effort. We are all XFL fans together, and without us, the league will not survive, and we all want to see that, right? So, until next week, for Vince, I'm Alan. This has been the XFL Show. Remember, Vince, tell them again. They're listening. <laughs>